Okay, so which uh, which verse should we start with? What do you think? What, should, should we start with? Yeah. To, uh, should we? I don't know. What do you think about the introduction? Um. Yeah. Why not? That's a good idea. I'll start with the introduction, and uh, we may not. We, we won't get through all of it you know, tonight. So we'll read it, and then instead of just me reading to you, and you're gonna put you to sleep if I do that. So let we'll read a little, stop and chat, and discuss it. And if you have any questions at any time, stop me. You know, we're not any in any hurry to get through. It could take uh, weeks. Doesn't matter. Let's just. Uh, Let's just enjoy it because it's really wonderful. So, um, if it takes weeks, that means you you're going to have to stay longer. That's just <laughs> Yay! I got myself into that one. I didn't. Right. That's exactly what it is. Uh huh. <laughs> hmm. All right. The introduction. And it goes on pretty good. About 30 pages. Yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah. All right. All right, the introduction. The conception of God and the conception of the absolute truth are not on the same level. The Srimad Bhagavatam hits on the target of the absolute truth. The conception of God indicates the controller, whereas the conception of the absolute truth indicates the summum bonum, or the ultimate source of all energies. There is no difference of opinion about the personal feature of God as the controller, because a controller cannot be impersonal. Hey, good to see you, Melissa. How are you? This is a rare treat. Yeah, for me as well. Yeah. Uh, we're starting the introduction of Srimad Bhagavatam. Okay, great. So, uh, now notice Prabhupada right here, he's, he's taking a poke at, at people who believe that God's not a person. Some people think God's just a, an energy, you know, some kind of a fuzzy, undefinable thing, a force. Some people say, well, God's the spirit of love. And they think that that limits it, that sums it all up. Well, he is that, but he's so gazillions of more things, you know. Uh, is he the, uh, the ultimate energy, the universal energy? Yes, but he, that doesn't sum him up. He's much more than that, too. So, uh, Prabhupada says here that there is no difference of opinion about the personal feature of God as the controller because a controller has to be personal. Now think about that. Some people will say, uh, well, I don't believe God is like a person or has a personality. God is the universal energy. That, that, uh, what is it? How, did they, how do they say it? I can't remember. That, that, um, uh, force. Hmm? Force. Yeah, that force that's behind the cosmos, that's within everything. Oh, you know, they talk and talk, and they really don't say anything. You know, I, I, I get around to a lot of these yoga places, and you find people who can talk for five minutes about something, and then when they're finished, you realize, 
You didn't say anything, did you? You said a lot of words, but none of it equals. At the end, the equal is zero, because you didn't really say hardly anything. You know? And I don't know anything anymore about God, and what you're saying, without saying it, maybe you're embarrassed to say so, is you just don't know. If you knew something, this was your chance to say it. You didn't. So Prabhupada makes it very clear here that if God is the supreme controller, then that kind of signifies that he has a personality. You know? I mean, how can electricity control anything? You know, how does it... So there's, to, be, to control something, there has to be a thought process. Thinking. And thinking means personality. Personality comes from persons. Now, he's, he's a person, but he's a supreme person. You see? So, um, <clears throat> can you talk about this term absolute truth? Because we tend to just say absolute truth, but most people don't have a very, yeah. I don't have a very deep understanding yeah. of absolute The supreme truth. absolute truth. Uh, truth is something. Now, uh, the reason why that doesn't really just register right away with it, with us, is because in this material world, uh, we think we know the meaning of that word truth. But sometimes we hear things and we accept them as truth, only to find out later on that that wasn't right. I mean, I, you know, you, you know, there are many, for instances, we've experienced in our lives, you know. Uh, scientists will say one thing, you know, you, you, you shouldn't do like this, or it'll, it'll make you sick in this way. Uh, the latest thing that they've uncovered that I saw on the internet that I thought was very interesting was all the hype about salt. They've been saying salt's a demon. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do much salt, it'll kill your heart and blah, 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 blah. And then they find out that, gee whiz, you know, when we ran those studies, it was like in 1938. <laughs> <laughs> and when somebody actually said, hey, where is this data that you had to come to this conclusion. They say, oh, well, let me see where it is. And they find it in an archive and it's like 30 pages and, you know, they didn't have technology and they really didn't examine that many people. And then, <laughs> so they, have, they did a study now with technology and, and large number, the law, using the law of, of large numbers, you know, to give, because if there's more people in the study, that's kind of gives you a little bit more of a true picture. And they came up and said, I think they were wrong. You know, it's really not that bad for you. Now, if you have heart disease and you eat a lot of salt, then that's bad. That's not good. But there's no evidence now that, that says that salt is really terrible for you, you know. I mean, too much of anything, too much water. You know, if you drink too much water within a day, I forget, I, I used to know what, there was a, there's a number of gallons that if the average person drinks more than X number of gallons in a 24-hour period, it will kill you. And it's not as much as you'd think. I think it's like seven gallons or something like that, seven or eight gallons of water. You know, there was a court case that happened that I found that out because there was a, there was a DJ in Southern California who was trying to, who had a contest to see who could drink the most water. And somebody died. And the scientist said, or some doctor said, you fool. 
If you drink too much water, you'll die. If you drink more than 6.75 gallons a day, you'll die. Now, water. So, too much oxygen will kill you. So, anyway, uh, my point is that uh, the absolute truth is that which doesn't change. It's the truth. It's the truth now. It'll be the truth tomorrow. It'll be the truth for eternity. And not only that, it always was the truth. You see, it's the absolute truth. That which doesn't change. You see, that's, that is God. He's the absolute truth. That which is uh, uh, the most uh, dependable, the most uh, accurate, the most real. Truth means reality. You see, the most reality, the most real. You see, and in our in our world, in the material world, in our training in this world, true doesn't really mean true according to the absolute. Now he means true. Because he's never going to come back and say, <clears throat> well, I did some, uh, you know, God's never going to come back and say, I did some recalculations and I've realized I'm not the creator. He always was, he is now, and he always will be. So that's the truth. You know, so you can hang your hat on it. Now everything else other than him, uh, and we, his energy, well, we're also the absolute truth, not in the degree that he is, when we are engaged in our natural position as his loving servants, you see. Because it's, it's true. The only true statement we can make about ourselves is, I am an eternal servant of God. If you make any other statement after I am than an eternal servant of God, you are wrong. So when you consider, when you have that consciousness that I'm an eternal servant of the Supreme Lord, now I have spoken the absolute truth. And if I have that consciousness, then I have the consciousness of absolute truth. And it will never change. You see? Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. That may not be that. You want to read that first sentence again? It was comparing the conception of God with the absolute truth. Yeah. The conception of God and the conception of the absolute truth are not on the same level. The Srimad Bhagavatam hits on the target of the absolute truth. The conception of God indicates the controller, whereas the conception of the absolute truth indicates the summum bonum, or the ultimate source of all energies. There is no difference of opinion about the personal feature of God as the controller because a controller cannot be impersonal. Did I go too far or did you just want that one sentence? No, okay. See, it is, like I said, it's pretty high level philosophy, but you know, we can, we can grasp it. It may take, it takes me a while, you know, but <clears throat> very merciful for Prabhupada to give us this, uh, okay, let's go on. Of course, modern government, especially demo a democratic government, is impersonal to some extent, but ultimately the chief executive head is a person, and the impersonal feature of government is subordinate to the personal feature. So without a doubt, where, whenever we refer to control over others, we must admit the existence of a personal feature. 
you know. So when we're arguing with somebody who says, no, I don't believe that, that the supreme force out there has any personality, you say, well, does that supreme force have any control over you? If the answer is yes, well, then how can it be a controller if it doesn't have a personality? Yeah. What year was all this written in? The book? This was spoken, uh, first spoken many thousands of years ago. And even then they knew our government would be what it is today. Yeah, actually, these, these folks here, and you can see there's a beautiful picture of the people who were assembled to hear this, you know. Great sages, liberated people, high thinkers, people that are not attached in any way, shape, or form to anything material. They're just in love with God and subjects of God, you know, so... Uh, and I say that to illustrate that they had really incredible potency, and they could they could actually see the future. Yeah. You know, they predicted so many things would happen. I mean, they, it's not like a prediction. Like, uh, let me see. I'll bet you that you know, they they could see. You know, at a certain time in the future, it will be this way, and all these. Uh, let's call them predictions, but they were really just forecasts of what will happen. So you know they, they, they knew what was what was about to happen. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's really it really is. For something written that far back, like uh, the appearance of Lord Buddha was predicted uh, 3,500 years before he uh, appeared. Wow. 3,500 years. So, <laughs> and so many things were were said. This this will happen. You know. Um, my guru, Srila Prabhupada's uh, appearance and, and what he would do was predicted uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. you know, so this, is, this will happen late in the Kali Yuga in this age. And the reason why they said it is because it's kind of unbelievable because in this age, it's not a very spiritual age. You know, in previous ages, things were much more spiritual. People like the you know, the world was inhabited by people like this that I showed you in this picture uh, to a large degree. And now we're uh, materially motivated and materially contaminated. You know, uh, one thing that's rocking uh, the news, and I, and, and I think it's, it's good that the news is covering it's horrible that it happened, is this horrible rape in uh, Delhi. You know? It's just, but uh, you know, it's horrible that it happened. But uh, I'm glad to see the world is kind of like waking up. Now, the question that comes to my mind is that wait a minute, rape has been going on for a long time. You guys are finally saying, you know, we need to do something about this. What does it take? You know. I mean, for crying out loud, <laughs> this is like a no-brainer. Well, yeah, we needed to do something about this eons ago. See, so. Uh, and I but, read something on the internet while reading that story. It said uh, someone's raped every eighteen hours over there. Yeah, yeah. Lack of respect. Yeah, lack of respect. 
It's uh, degradation. So uh, this kind of thing was unthinkable in, in this day. You know, when one of these sages said that in this age of Kali, that uh, uh, hey, politician, that uh, uh, people would resort to, to killing their unborn children in the womb, the, the assembled sages said, "No." They believed so many, but they, they heard, "No, not that." Yes, this will come to pass. Well, if you say so, but wow, oh, that's a tough one to believe. You know. So the degradation of, of the human species has, has happened. So what we're trying to do is to offer a society that um, uh, operates outside of that demonic capacity. You know, that's what that's our, our goal. We're we're trying to return. We're trying to offer a society that's like these people here. You see. To, to where it, they're incapable of such action. They're incapable because they can't even imagine it, you see. So that's what we're trying to establish. So, glad you could come. So with a, without a doubt, whenever we refer to control over others, we must admit the existence of a personal feature because there are different controllers for different managerial positions, there may be many small gods. According to the Bhagavad Gita, any controller who has some specific extraordinary power is called a vibhutimat sattva, or controller empowered by the Lord. There are many vibhutimat sattvas, controllers or gods, with various specific powers. But the absolute truth is the one without a second. The Srimad Bhagavatam designates the absolute truth as the Samnam Bonam or the Param Satyam, which means the, the total. Uh, now again, what are you talking about? What is he saying here? Gods? Other gods? Well, that sounds ridiculous. Well, I was talking with someone the other day and they were saying, they wanted to know about, what do you mean? demigods. No, there's just God. God is one. There's only one God. Well, that's true. There's only one God. But uh, sometimes we think of God as the guy who does, he does everything. You know, we hear him as the, the one who stills the water. Have you heard that? You know. Well, why would he do that? He's got people to do that. <laughs> You know, Obama doesn't polish his shoes. He's got people to do that. Well, why would God be the one who's out here doing all this? He's the guy that's making the water come up from the ocean. He forms clouds and he sends rain. You know, we think that he does. He, you know, is he, is he out there raking your leaves? You know, what is? How much do we think? He, now, it's his potency that's carrying that out. But you know. Krishna would say, you know, hey, Bob, I'm glad you're back back home, back to Godhead. You know what? I want you to be in charge of this. Would you do that for me? You know? And he said, well, sure. All right, then that's your department. You're in charge. Now off you go. Take care of it. I'm going to enjoy with Radharani. And, you know, so uh, they're like, the demigods are like department heads. 
and they're they're there to carry out you know it's just like if you go into a corporation there's the chief executive officer and then you got all these vice presidents you know vice president of finance vice president of human resources vice president of sales and vice president of marketing you know like that so these all these different people you see the chief executive officer doesn't walk around he doesn't fill the copier when it runs out of paper you see so why would Krishna? He, he doesn't. Now, it's all his energy and it's under his control, but he has good people to handle these things. See, if they got out of line, he'd say, stop that. Don't do it that way. Do it the way I want it done and get back to work. You see? So that's, the, that's what demigods are. They're not considered to be God. However, uh, within the quote-unquote Hindu faith, there uh, is worship of the demigods. Now, why do you think many people in India, most people in India, worship the demigods? To get stuff. To get stuff. Mm -hmm. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm -hmm. So, uh, then people are quick to say, well, wait a minute now. If they go to the demigods to get stuff, why wouldn't they go straight to Krishna? He's the chief. You know, the buck stops there. So why wouldn't they? And if you'll talk to, you know, you know the Hindus, they're not, they, even though they worship Shiva or Ganesh or, or whomever, they'll tell you. You could say, but Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. And they'll say, oh yes, I know that. Well, then why are you worshiping Shiva? Shiva, you will give, I can go to Shiva and I want money, Shivaji would give it. Well, why don't you go to Krishna? Oh, no, if you go to that Krishna, you will fall in love. You won't want the money anymore. <laughs> I want to want the money. I don't want to fall in love with God. You see, if I get too close to Krishna, he's going to steal my heart. All my desires, my material desires are going to go away. The next thing I know, I don't want money, and I'm just all up and, you know, about Krishna and, I don't want to do that. I don't want to lose my material desires. So I'm going to approach the, the demigods. They'll give me what I ask for. I'll do some worship to them and, you know, put a picture of them on my altar and whatever. And I'll get, I'll, I'll get my goodies <laughs> and I'll avoid Krishna. But I'll offer respect to Krishna. I just don't want to get too close. You see. They'll even have pictures of Krishna. So almost every taxi cab you get into in, uh, in India has a picture of Krishna. You know, a, little, a little altar on the dashboard. You know. And oftentimes they'll have a picture of Krishna and a little garland of flowers around it. You know, so. uh, also Ganesh or Shiva or someone, because you know, those give them the money. They know that yes, it comes from Krishna, but we want, you don't want to get too close to that beautiful boy on the banks of the Jumuna River. Because he's going to take your heart. You know? Now I'm not looking to fall in love with God. I'm looking for the, the money. I want the bakshish. You know. So, any more questions before I go on? Comments? The author of Srimad Bhagavatam, Srila Vyasadeva, 
first offers his respectful obeisances unto the Param Satyam, absolute truth. And because the Param Satyam, uh, Param means the absolute, uh, uh, yeah, absolute. <clears throat> because the uh, Param Satyam is the ultimate source of all energies, the Param Satyam is the Supreme Person. The gods or the controllers are undoubtedly persons, but the Param Satyam, from whom the gods derive powers of control, is the supreme person. The Sanskrit word Ishwara, or controller, conveys the uh, import of God. But the supreme person is called the Param Ishwara, or the supreme Ishwara, the supreme controller. You see? Um, it's like that uh, verse in Bhagavad Gita, 5th chapter, 29th verse, Bhoktaram Jagyatapasyam, Sarva Loka Maheshwaram. What's the next line? Suridam Sarva Bhutanam, Gyatvamam Shantam Richiti. Bhoktaram Jagyatapasyam. Krishna is saying, I am the ultimate receiver of all sacrifices and penances. Now you can perform them to Shiva or Ganesh or whatever, but they can't keep them, they come to me. It's just like a, uh, when I'm giving a, a lecture at a Hindu temple, I like to use this, I like this verse, because they're thinking demigods and I'm gonna go in there and talk about Krishna. And uh, But it's just like in many of my motels, you know, so I say, it's just like if someone checks into a hotel and you go in there, and the nice person at the desk, you say, how much is a room? And they say, $75. So you pay them $75. They don't put that money in their pocket. They put it in the, in the cash drawer, and the owner, when he comes in the next morning, he takes that money and puts it in his account. See, they accept the money, and they'll give you the room. But there is a supreme controller of that money. <laughs> and the Indians that Elmo tells them, Oh, yes, yes, I understand. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. You see? So, so uh, uh, the, the demigods can't keep the offerings that are made to them. They pass it on to Krishna. They know about Krishna. And they know their department heads. You see? They're not trying to fool anybody. They're just there. To, uh, to give you whatever you ask for, you know, if you perform the right uh, sacrifice. <clears throat> the Supreme Person, or the Parameshwar, is the Supreme Conscious Personality. And because he does, uh, because he does not derive any power from any other source, he is supremely independent. In the Vedic literatures, Brahma is described as the Supreme God, or the head of all other gods like Indra, Chandra, and Varuna. But the Srimad Bhagavatam confirms that even Brahma is not independent as far as his power and knowledge are concerned. He received knowledge in the form of the Vedas from the Supreme Person who resides within the heart of every living being. That Supreme Personality knows everything, directly and indirectly, individual infinitesimal persons who are parts and parcels of the Supreme Personality 
may know directly or indirectly everything about their bodies or external features, but the Supreme Personality knows everything about both his external and his internal features. So the Supreme Personality knows everything internally and externally. You see, if there is knowledge, you know, so it, it, uh, again, if we're discussing the Mayavadis or the, the impersonalists who don't believe God is a person or has any form or, you know, any brains, he's just a force, then uh, we, can, we can talk to them like this. If there's, if there's some thought process, that means there's a personality. Otherwise, this energy is just a thing that's out there. It's just out there. Well, you're saying it's there and it's powerful. What does it do? You know, if it can do anything uh, with, with any pre-thought, it has a brain. If it has a brain, it has personality. If it has personality, that indicates that it is a person which has a form. Now, we're not arm wrestling with them because actually Krishna is both manifest and unmanifest at the same time. He's God. He can do that. Now to be complete, he has to have, complete means having everything. Right? To be absolute, unlimited, that entity has to have everything. So that means that entity can't be missing anything. So the entity that we're talking about is the Supreme has to have personality and form. Otherwise, it would be incomplete. It also has to be unmanifest, or it wouldn't have that, so it would be incomplete. Yes? Yeah, since we're the same quality, we're eternal knowledge and bliss, um, but we're not the same quantity. Do we, if we, when we're in our true state, our natural state, do we have the same knowledge? Is it, or is it? Pretty much. Pretty much. The nature of the living entity, or us, the soul, is sat-chit-ananda. Sat means eternal. Uh, we, as uh, souls, are eternal. Means we, now, eternal means we always were and we always will be. You know? So that without a beginning, without an end. That's eternal. E eternal. Uh, chit, full of knowledge full of knowledge. Uh, Srila Prabhupada said one time that the living entity has the ability to have up to 86 percent, either 86 or 84, I think it's 86 percent of the knowledge of the Supreme. Now that's a lot. Can you imagine having 86 percent of the knowledge of Einstein? You'd be way past genius. So, to, to have 86% 80, of the knowledge of Krishna, that's mind-boggling. That's us. That's what we are. We're full of knowledge. And Ananda, we're eternally blissful. We're full of bliss. You see, that's our, uh, our natural position, is to be blissful. That's why we're always trying to achieve happiness. You know, now think about it. In this material world, it's full of suffering, right? 
I mean, you know, it's cold. Remember you and I were sitting outside yesterday in the sunlight, and then the sun kind of got a little dark, or that went behind a cloud, or whatever, you know. All of a sudden it got cold. Well, that was really uncomfortable. It was nice sitting in the sun, but if you sit in the sun out there in that same chair in July, it's going to be too hot. You see, even if the sun goes behind a cloud, it's still too hot. So that's miserable. And so you sit out there this time of year, you can sit in the sun, it feels kind of nice, but then in a few minutes, it's miserable, it's cold. You see, so this world is full of suffering. You feel hunger, that's misery. Sometimes your, your stomach may hurt. So then you eat. Now I feel a little satisfied. But now my stomach didn't like what I ate. Now I've got another problem to deal with, indigestion. You see what I mean? It just goes on and on and on. You know, if, uh, misery is, is part of the material world. But it doesn't exist in the spiritual world. You see. So my point is, if we are creatures of the material world, then why can't we be at home with misery? We don't like it. We try to avoid it. We want something. We want to be blissful all the time. We want to be without misery. That's, that's our spiritual nature. If we were material beings, we'd be able to accept it. You know, well, right now I'm miserable. You know, how are you today, Jane? Oh, I'm kind of miserable. Oh, good to hear that. You know, instead I say, oh no, really? Can I help? See? So it's, it's unnatural. We complain if we're miserable. You know, too hot, too cold, too salty, too this, too that. Too much chili, not enough chili. Jarell and I always complain there's not enough chili. You know? <laughs> Whenever we eat together, he's always got the... The shaker that has the cayenne in it. <laughs> we need a little bit more chili. You see what I mean? <laughs> so, um, we're, we're uh, entities that thrive on pleasure. And we're in a world where pleasure is so limited. You know, it's kind of few and far between. We get little tastes of it, then it goes away. <coughs> and we're ser searching for more, and we get some. Of it. You know, so. Uh, we're eternal. Now, how can we prove that we're eternal? We're not stupid. And if we're just material creatures, if that's all we are, now take a look at this material world. The death rate of this planet is 100%. It always has been. It always has been, okay? So if we're just part of this material world, why can't we just say, oh, death's okay. Every, everybody dies. It's okay. Why do we resist? We don't like it. We don't like death. We don't want to die. But that if, if it's just the material world that's the reality, then why can't we accept that? So what? So what? But we, we reject misery. Because we always want to be happy. We're, we're always wanting knowledge. We feel uncomfortable if we don't have knowledge. If we're in, uh, if we're in the, the company of other people who have far more knowledge than we do, we feel uncomfortable, you see. And we don't like this thing about death. 
You know, now some people will say, well, I'm not afraid of death. You know, I'd like to pull a gun out and say, oh, yay. <laughs> How are you feeling right now? You know, <laughs> Wait, don't pull that trigger. Well, I thought you're not afraid of it. Well, I don't want to die, but it's natural. Your parents died. Their parents died. All of my pets have died. Everything dies. So what's wrong? You see? But no. I want life. Because I'm eternal. I don't get this death thing. I don't want to do it. I'm tired of it. You know? I don't want this suffering. And I'm tired of feeling like I don't know what there is to know. I want to know it. You see? Yeah, Carrie? Would I be 100% wrong to ask Krishna manifested and unmanifested in the absolute truth? Could that be at all close to what they call the Trinity in the Bible? Very close. Very close. The, uh, the Vedas talk about that. They just don't use the same term. They don't yeah. call it the Trinity. You know, God the Father, uh, Krishna, God the Son, the living entities. We're his offspring. Now, we could get into an argument, well, no, there was only one. Well, okay, there's only one Lord Jesus Christ. But now, what am I? You know, I'm a child of God. Mm -hmm. So I'm his son, daughter, whatever, I'm something like that. You know, I mm -hmm. fit in there somewhere. So, you know, uh, although we, we could certainly agree that Lord Jesus Christ was incredibly special. You know, um, and God, the, the Holy Spirit. When I was a child, they called him the Holy Ghost. Do you remember that? Are you old enough to remember that? The Holy Spirit. That's the Paramatma, the Krishna in the heart, who's observing everything. He's here with us. And they called him the Holy Ghost because he's here, but you can't see him. You can't experience him. You see? So, yeah. You know, um, I've had long discussions with uh, some of my friends. I have some friends. I'm blessed with some friends that are Bible scholars. And I don't mean the people who just really uh, studied the Bible. You know, people like your father. Your, fa your father was a great Bible scholar, wasn't he? Mine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He knew everything. Yeah. I mean, he knew every comma, yeah. every period in the Bible, and, you know. So if you talk with them, they'll um, uh, you can you can talk to them to reasonable people who really know the philosophy of Christianity, uh, and not just the surface, but deep, deep. And they also know the Bible in Greek, every comma, every they, and not only do they just know it, but they understand it. And at least with somebody like that is refreshing, mm -hmm. just like it's it's. It's pleasure and refreshing to be with somebody who understands the Vedas. But what they will tell you, you can get into a deep conversation and say, uh, Lord Jesus Christ said that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now that's the King James rendering of it. In, in uh, Greek, it's a very similar thing that he's saying, but it's not implying necessarily that I'm God. Now, when you see uh, when you see the deputy, you're seeing the sheriff. 
right? So, because the deputy has all of the, the he's, he's deputized by the sheriff to do everything. He knows all the laws and he can arrest you and you see what I mean? So, uh, Lord Jesus Christ being in his position knew the mind of his father. And he had no outside interest whatsoever. You know, none, none whatsoever. His only thoughts were of the will of his father, the supreme Godhead. That's, that was his only motivation, his only thought. He was sent for sent pure. No material contamination whatsoever. So therefore, when he spoke, it's God speaking. Because he's not going to talk any nonsense. He doesn't know any nonsense. You know, it's not possible for him to speak nonsense. When you see him, you're seeing the Father. Now, if we agree... Then does it matter if he was, based on all the things that he said, does it actually matter if he was absolutely the supreme Godhead? Now, if we want to argue, some people will say, well, yes. You know, but um, and I think the Bible says he was, he's God in the flesh. But that would be Krishna manifested. Yeah. And it does say we're all sons and daughters of God. Yeah. Krishna, whatever. It does. No, it, it all makes sense. Yeah. Just different words. Yeah. Sometimes we, uh, sometimes folks like to argue because, you know, I like to say, you know, uh, my team can beat your team. My dad can beat your dad up, you know. Uh, when, we're, when we're materially contaminated, there is competition. We were covering that in one of our classes. I think it was yesterday. There's competition. Com a competitive mind needs material. There's some material contamination. You see, because the spiritualists don't. What's the what's the compete? God is God. I'm His humble servant. How may I serve you? <laughs> you see, if I start saying, "Well, I'm a better servant than you," well, I'm contaminated. <laughs> you know. My book is better than yours. Well, I'm contaminated. Let's see. All right. Should we go on? We've got... Well, we only have about eight or ten minutes left, so should we just have questions? Discussion? Anybody have anything to say? you got something to say. I know. I've looked. I can know that look. I thought you... I thought maybe we'd talk a little bit about, you started to mention Obama, the example about Obama and his representatives compared to God and the other yeah. guys. And, but yeah. you, you pretty much explained It's kind of like, so. it, yeah, the, the demigod aspect uh, is kind of like uh, the president has a cabinet. You know, he's got the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Agriculture, you know, it's not that the president has to do all these things. You know, now some people may say, well, yeah, but God is omnipotent. He can do all these. Well, why would he want to? You know, why would he want to, to like I said, why would the chief executive officer of a corporation who knows how to change the paper in the copy machine, why would he want to do it? When he could say to you, Aaron, go change the paper in the in the copy machine. And by the way, every time it runs down, I want you to do it, okay? And I'll give you another buck an hour. So off you go. You see? 
Now, he could do it all. Krishna could do it all. But, uh, first of all, you want to serve him. And he says, okay. Well, how'd you like to be in charge of the weather? You know, I think, I, I can see your burning desire to be my servant. I'll put you in charge of the weather. You can, you know, you can, uh, you're in charge of the rain and drought and whatever. And, and you know the, the, uh, the reasons why to give rain and, and not to give rain, so off you go, have a good time. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're like department heads, they're the cabinet members. So, uh, that's why there's a confusion about uh, the, the so-called Hindu religion. They believe that they believe in many gods, and some of them do. Some of them do. I mean, I've known in this country, uh, a good comparison is there, there are people who have such a misunderstanding. And I'm talking about Americans, born in Americans, from American families. There's such a misunderstanding about the Christian philosophy that they believe that what God wants them to do is to handle poisonous snakes. You ever heard of those? In Tennessee and Kentucky, but especially in eastern Kentucky. Texas. Do they do it in Texas too? We have what we call snake-like churches. They're so weird. They're so weird. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know they did it in Texas. I thought it was just the back backwoods people. But you know, Newport, Tennessee. Newport. Yeah. Oh, that's that's the movie about it. Really. But you know, they they hold poisonous snakes and they pass them around. You know. So, I mean, it's not like one church. We're talking. So they have, this is reality, you know, so they have such a low understanding of uh, Christianity and the teachings of Lord Jesus Christ, the desires of, of their Savior, that they do these things, you know. So, um, so you know, in this material world, there's, the, there's oftentimes there's uh, a cheating mentality. Uh, and a tendency sometimes to come under the spell of illusion. And so even though I may, uh, I may be a religious person, if I, if I don't follow uh, my religion properly, I can fall to, under the control of illusion. And I have a tendency to make mistakes. You know, so uh, that's why we need uh, a spiritual master. We need a guru. Because I have a tendency to come under illusion. I have a tendency to make mistakes. I have a tendency to cheat others. Not everybody will admit to that, but most of us have a little bit of tendency to, to be a cheater, you see. So uh, that's why we, we, need, we need gatherings. We need each other, you see. So the, the person who says, well, I don't need any of this. I can just strike it off, strike out on my own, you know. And then we have what's happened, what's, what's blossomed in this new age that we're in are the, uh, the bumblebee people, we call. Uh, they go, the bumblebee goes from flower to flower to flower. And so we have what's manifest in recent years, in our lifetimes, are the bumblebee philosophers or the bumblebee uh, religious folks. They go from philosophy to philosophy to philosophy you know and they're not expert in anything 
they tell you a little bit of this, they tell you a little bit of that. They'll quote uh, Jesus, they'll quote uh, Buddha, and they'll and they go, oh, this, this is good, and that's good, and, and this is good. And, and yeah, you're telling me you have the intelligence to take a, a little bit of everything and put it all together in being something. And that something, if I take a little bit of a lot of stuff and put it together, that is called speculation. My speculation. Because it's because I'm special. I've got the intelligence to do this, and I'm trying to tell you that I've got more intelligence than you do. Because I've put together this little piece and a little piece of a hodgepodge of philosophies. And I think it's enough. I'll look you in the eye and tell you that that's enough to take me where I need to go. So in other words, you're a jack of all trades and master of none. Jack of all philosophies and master of none, you know, a little bit of everything, you know, so you're not really on a path. You're not really going anywhere. You're spinning your wheels. There's another, like, popular adage that says um, all roads lead to the same place mm -hmm. or the same location. Yeah. And whenever someone has said that to me, I will always argue that point. What do you say? I well, it depends on who it is, you know, but I mean, I kind of like have to kind of go with the flow of who I'm speaking with, but basically what I'll, I will give them kind of, sometimes it's good to give gross examples. So um, gross examples would be uh, uh, there's, there's a, a new, a, a kind of a, a form of fundamentalism that is uh, arising in the world today and both in the Christian realm and, and the Islamic world and the whole thing. And so then that you know, if you say that all roads lead to the same, you know, golden world, you can't possibly say that that kind of hatred and, and uh, you know, there's, there's religious philosophies that really are hateful <laughs> and uh, uh, negative. And so you could never, I mean, if you just use common logic, you can, you can convince people to say that it's quite obvious that not all roads lead to the same location. Yeah. You can't possibly. Not with this kind of distorted uh, worldview. Um, so then they then they kind of see. So it just depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand what they mean in general. I mean, there's even been Guru Satchidananda, Swami Satchidananda. You probably have heard. Yes. Yeah. Would you know he built his whole philosophy based upon this concept of integral yoga that all uh, true religions lead to the same goal. And I would say probably. You know, uh, on a surface level, yeah. I mean, the, the the deep level, the deep mystic aspect of Christianity, the deep mystic level of Judaism, the deep mystic level, are really getting at the divine. Um, so on that level, it's it, it, there's some yeah. truth to that. Um, but it's, well, and, and we can yeah. we can agree with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, ultimately. Um, for instance, even the person who says, well, I just want to go merge. You know, I don't believe that God's a person. I don't believe he has personality. Uh, I want to go merge with the, the impersonal, universal energy. Well, that person's not wrong. They can go and merge with that. You know, that's a liberation. Now, the thing of it is, since we're eternal, uh, a lot of people think, well, once you leave this world and uh, you're liberated, well, that's eternal. 
that's permanent. Well, not really. You get you, you have a choice in the matter. Because if you get, let's say you get this impersonal realization. Let's say you get uh, the Buddhist nirvana. Now, nirvana is a Sanskrit word which translated into English means nothing. Nothing. There's nothing. Void. So let's say you're there in the void or the, the light of the impersonal Brahman. And what do you get? I, I, I've talked with people about this. What do, you, what do you get when you get there? I get peace. Serenity and peace. Okay? So here we are and we're serene and we're peaceful. Now what are we going to do? Well, uh, who are you with? Well, I'm with the, all the others that are there. Well, how do you know? They're, they're formless and you're formless. So, I mean, how do you reach out and touch somebody? How do you, how do you have an exchange? How do you have a loving exchange? Wait a minute, can't have a loving exchange? So, in other words, you're without love. Now, how long is that going to last before you say, you know, this has been really peaceful and really serene, but I want something else. And you return and go to the next level. So, uh, even if somebody follows some bogus path, ultimately, after maybe gazillions of years and trillions of births, ultimately they're going to say, God, help me. You know, I'm stumbling around out here, you know. Please, help me. I want out of here. I want something that's... I, I want the absolute truth. I've had all these partial truths and half-truths and this... I want the absolute. I'm tired. You know, I've been going around in this material world for trillions of years and I'm, you know, I'm weary. I've been liberated and hated it and here I am back and, you know, I, I need your help. And Krishna says, I've, I've been here all along. All you had to do was, I've been here holding my hand up. And you've been, like, ignoring me. All you have to do is just grab my hand. I'll carry you. you know? Surrender to me. Be my servant. Love me. And I'll take care of the rest. The material energy will move aside for you. You know, you'll be so special that when you walk through the material energy, the material energy steps aside. Because Krishna's got your hand. That's called consciousness of, of Krishna or Krishna consciousness. You see. We're saying to Krishna, I surrender. And he says, Okay. Now I surrender to you. We have surrendered to each other. Now come on, let's go. Let's get out of here. We've got better things to do. Better places to go and better things to do. You see. Now that's, that's a real epiphany. There are little epiphanies around, along the way. But that's a real one. When you figure it all, now I've got the absolute truth. And he says, once you're liberated and you come back to me, you're never going to leave. You're going to stay for eternity. Not, I mean, you, you could if you wanted to, but you're not going to want to. You're not a prisoner. You could leave anytime you want to. That's why we left already. Because we were curious, what else is there? 
So Krishna says, well, take off. Go explore. You tell me. When you come back, you tell me what you found, aside from me. So off we go. We, we go on this trek through the material world, looking for something separate from God. And then when we go back, we say, there was nothing other than you. There was nothing like you. And Krishna says, oh, now you're getting smart. Now let's go have some fun. You know? And Krishna says, there's one thing I want you to know is that I have always loved you. I love you now and I always will. And now you've discovered that you've always loved me and that you love me now and that you always will. So now you're truly liberated. See? And you've had all these other liberations and, and whatever. So, so that's our goal. It's, uh, you know, we're not saying we're better or anything. Uh, we're just saying our goal is to have a, a loving, personal relationship with God. You know, we want, we want the absolute truth of truths. All right, so if there's nothing else, I think we should probably adjourn to the restaurant. Yeah. I hear some growlings of stomachs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming.